Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. My name's uh, Greg Elliott. Uh, welcome here to Life uh, Vineyard Church. Um, I'm on the teaching team here. I uh, really enjoy teaching with uh, Liz and Dan, and so I get to teach about once a month. And so it's such a privilege to be here today uh, with you. Um, just as far as we get into the message, I, I guess I start off with an illustration usually. Um, and this goes back to my marriage. So Jeanette and I, my lovely wife, we have been married going on 35 years, right? This is going to be 35 years coming up, all right? So, whoo! And, um, and so we have interacted with each other in marriage in situations, making decisions as they come up and, and, and things come up that we have to work through. And I've realized that in doing that, I have two minds, right? There is the mind of the husband, the husband that said I do to my wife about 35 <laughs> years ago. And the, the husband mind is about caring, about serving her needs, about putting her needs first. And that's the husband mind. Well, there's another mind in our marriage, and that's the engineering mind. And so the engineering mind started off whenever I was 10 years old, and I got my first toy train, and I said, how does this work, right? And so the engineering mind's a little different because the engineering mind approaches all these situations and basically looks, how can I apply technology, logic, or more tools to solve this problem, right? And so those are the two minds that kind of guide our situations in our marriage, I find. So for example, let me give you a couple examples. Okay, so back when we lived in New Jersey, um, we, I, I was a professor at Rutgers University, and so I was getting all the, what's really nice, they give you free books when you're a professor, which is really nice. So I was getting all these free books. Jeanette was getting her master's at that time, and so we had all these books, and Jeanette comes to me, and she says, we really need to get some shelves for this. Now, the husband part of me said, well, I could go out you know, to a furniture store and buy some shelves and we put the book. But the engineering side of me said, you know, I could actually go and buy some tools to build a bookshelf, right? So $1,000 later, <laughs> we have our new shelves, okay? And so that's the husband mind and the engineering mind. Now, now another one, and I think this is probably more recent, um, Jeanette, as you might know, uh, is an amputee, and so about every five to ten years, uh, she has to go through and get, get a new knee, and, and a lot of times it causes a lot of stress, and as things are fitting right, and to get them right, well, a few years ago, um, it, it was really not working out right, and so even a lot of people here prayed for her during that time, and we're trying to figure it out, and, and she came to me, and you know, so she was using crutches every once in a while, and she was like, wow, you know, I really need help with the laundry basket, right? Now, the husband mine said, oh, I should carry the laundry for my wife, right? The engineering mine said, oh, I should make a radio-controlled basket that she could drive in the house. That one won out, right? <laughs> And so that's just an example is there's these two minds that are kind of competing against one another. Well, today we're going to look at and continue our series that's based on actually this book right here. 
It is the Good and Beautiful Community. And this is by uh, a man named uh, James Brian Smith. And we're going through this book and just seeing how God brings us together as a community and builds his community. And so as Christ followers, as a, and I, I love the word that Dallas Willard uses, apprentices of Jesus Christ. You know, those people that want to, that go, you know, this is how Jesus did things. I want to apprentice and do things the same way. As disciples or apprentices of Jesus Christ, God has formed us into a community that's beautiful. The source is Jesus Christ. We're changed as we follow him. We form a community as we come together and express ourselves to God, and we reflect that relationship to the outside world that are looking for, to find significance in the world. And so, as humans and followers of Jesus, I feel like we do the same thing, and that is that we approach our decisions, our solutions, our set of pro, uh, priorities, and we approach those things with two different kinds of mind, okay? And the book expresses this. One mind is rooted in the kingdom of God. Now, two weeks ago, um, Dan's message was on the kingdom of God. You can go back to it. It's really nice. I, I, I went back to it and listened to it, and I really like because Jason's voice is on there introducing it. Very nice, Jason, <laughs> as he introduces that. But, uh, and, and it says, you know, what is the kingdom of God? And it's basically the rule and reign of God. It's basically what things would be like if Jesus was in charge of everything and if his will was done perfectly everywhere. That's what the kingdom of God is. And whenever you look at having a mindset that's based on the kingdom of God, it's a place of cooperation where success is based on serving others, often to the point of self-sacrifice, where we value the things that Christ values, that we look out for others, that we give comfort and hope to those that are suffering, and compassion to those that are lost and needed, where we find that faith rules the day, overflowing with our reliance on God. Well, just like there's an engineering mind in my marriage, there's another mind in the church that can sometimes go out. And this is a mind that's outside the kingdom of God. It's built on worldly values, competition, where success is based on advancement and self-preservation, focused on advancing ourselves at the cost of others, where what is reasonable and rational rules the day with a dash of self-reliance. That's the other mind that sometimes as we come to community, we actually are making decisions with. And one might think that these two minds, you know, that are seen as we live out our lives, as we have relationships at work and in our family, um, that that's the only place you see these two, two minds at work. But, you know, and, and whenever we apply those two minds, you know, I'm, and please, I'm not talking about, you know, like, what shoes should I wear? You know, what shoes should I wear or what color should I wear? You know, I'm not talking about those kind of decisions. I'm talking about the decisions that show you your soul. In other words, that show you your soul, not your soul, right? Okay. <laughs> That's the last joke of the day. Okay, so, <laughs> so then, you know, that, that whenever we make these soul-revealing decisions, we have these two minds that can come to play, where we have these two narratives 
one of those minds is based on what should I do this if I had the mind of Christ? If I did these as a kingdom citizen, what would I do if I'm thinking about these things outside the mind of Christ? And so as we become part of this community that we call Life Vineyard Church, we have to decide which mind are we going to use. You know, as we come to, particularly in these, those decisions that are those soul-revealing decisions in our church, I mean, we can, real, we can rely on that false narrative that our, matter, our needs matter most, that the needs of this community are the things that matter most. And, and I don't mean the needs like, you know, taking care of our pastors financially or keeping the lights turned on, but, you know, often churches have a false narrative where the church needs are above those that they serve. You know, some of us have even been hurt by such churches with a self-focused attitude, an attitude that says other churches are bad, you know, and our pastors, our church, our denomination is the only true way. Often in communities with this false narrative, you'll see they're making decisions that elevate the church leaders to celebrity status, where they emphasize the spectacular instead of emphasizing that that long road of discipleship and growing in Christ, that they're dishonest even. And we've seen this in recent years, dishonest about how things are going in the church and covering up difficulties and sins in the church without repentance, mercy, or even the opportunity to give grace. You know, I'm happy to say that that's one mind that we can have in community, but there's another attitude. This is an attitude that I see far more often, I think it's the attitude that we want to have, and that's the true narrative, that we want to have a kingdom mind as we come together in those decisions that really matter. Let me give you an illustration of this. As I said in the beginning, uh, Jeanette and I lived in New Jersey for about seven years, um, about 1995 to 2003, we lived in New Jersey. I worked at uh, Rutgers University. We went to a, a few different churches there, and we're kind of in that situation where we never could find a church we really fit into, or it wasn't close enough that we could go, and it, it was kind of strange at the very end. I mean, and I think I'd already accepted the job offer to come here. We found a church to go to, and that church was called Liquid, and it actually had a pastor, his name was Tim Lucas, who actually uh, went to the same school that uh, Liz and Dan went to. So, the, so he had formed this church, and it, it's an interesting story, and even you can go on Amazon and, and look at the story of Liquid Church. Um, he started out, it was just a, a small group of college students that got together in the basement of the church and that church was Millington Baptist Church it was led by I want to honor these people too Dr. Peter Pandell was the pastor at that time and it was this conservative um, this church that had been around for about 150 years and uh, Tim who had graduated from uh, Wheaton uh, Illinois from Wheaton College um, the pastor asked him, said, hey, would you just start a small, you know, Sunday school class for college students? And they did in the basement 
of that small church. And after that, they started the Sunday school class, and it started out with 12 members, and then it went to 20, and then it went to 70, and the elders and the pastors got together and they said, hey, what is the next obstacle, obstacle, <laughs> obstacle that you have and how can we help? And they said, well, you know, we're just getting too big for the basement. Um, can we find another place that's more, you know, we're finding some of our age group don't really like coming into a church, you know, traditional church. So that elder board voted and they actually rented them for Sunday morning a tavern that actually they could meet in. And so they started meeting in the tavern, and they would still meet in the tavern that was close to the church, and then they would go to the Sunday service. And they were continuing to grow, and the elders and the pastor again got together and said, hey, what is limiting your, your ministry now? And they said, well, actually, you know, most of the people that we talk to don't really like going to Sunday morning church. And so they said, well, Let's take that out of your way. Let's get that out of the way. What would happen if we opened up our full church to you Sunday evenings and you create an environment that you want? And so they did. They, and this was about the time that Jeanette and I started attending there. They created an environment you would walk in and the sanctuary was beautiful. There were candles and they really had uh, artists that were, you know, New, New York City wasn't far away. And so they just had all this artistry and just really making a comforting place for people to come into. And then, about a couple years later, and this is 2007, again the elders and, and the pastor came to them and said, what's limiting you? And again, they said, well, is it time for us to be a church of our own? They had about 400 to 500 members that were coming there at night. And the elders gave their blessing and said, we're going to help you out for the first year. We're going to pay for your salary for the first year, and we want you to be on your own. You know, that is an attitude, and, they, and they've actually grown now that they're in one of the top 100 churches in the United States as far as growth. They have seven churches around uh, New Jersey that are actually continuing to grow. And I just love seeing that attitude the attitude that says you know let's not just focus in on ourselves what can we do to help you to grow even though it might not make sense you know there's there's a strategy to say gosh i wish everyone would just come to us you know and we would be this group but that elder board and that pastor they they had a kingdom set mind they had a mind that said what kind of decisions should we make so that we can look like and be like making decisions for the, for the kingdom. You know, our community here at Life Vineyard Church will, will not really enjoy the presence of the kingdom of God unless we think like kingdom citizens, unless we're looking for how can we serve others around us. You know, sometimes these thoughts are not going to be rational. Sometimes they're going to be things that we have to have faith at. And you'll think of it, and it's like, this is crazy that we're doing this. And we've been blessed whenever we make those kind of decisions. You know, the main attribute, I would say, of kingdom citizens and kingdom communities is the desire to serve others above yourself. I think that is it. I think that is the main thing there is. You know, let's look at the passage in the Bible that I think expresses this 
most. And, and you might think right now, wow, he's like 15, 20 minutes in and he hasn't even mentioned the Bible. Well, we're going to go into the Bible now, okay? So if you have your Bibles with you or go ahead and pull out your phones if you don't have your Bible and just bring up your app. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 16. Now, Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi was a church that was set up during his second missionary journey. And as you look at the letters of Paul, you know, the epistles of Paul, these letters that he wrote to this church, this is probably one of the only ones where he doesn't go after them. You know, you look at First and Second Corinthians, and he's dealing with all these problems and things like this, but Philippians is really just this wonderful letter that Paul's writing, and you can just feel how much love he has for this church and how he wanted to encourage him. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And it says there, this, it starts out like this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Oh, wow. Isn't this a neat description of a community, of a kingdom community coming together? That you would come together, and when we come together, that there's encouragement going in. Like you walk in these doors, and someone is there to encourage you. That, that whenever you come in, you feel like, wow, I could be united with these people. And we could have the commonness that even though we have different ideas, that we can worship the same God, sharing the same spirit. That whenever we interact with each other, whether it's enjoying the celebrations or even the things that we struggle through, that there would be tenderness and compassion. And that our joy would be complete. That we would be like-minded that we would just think of having the same love. Wow, that would be a great... And this is, I kind of call this Paul's I have a dream speech. You know, this is what the community really wants to be. Now let's look at the second thing. It says this in verse 3. This is really the answer to this. How do we do those things? What attitude? What is that kingdom mindset that we have to have? And here it is in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Wow, you know, when you first read this, depending on where you are in life, you may say, wow, this sounds very unhealthy. You know, this sounds like, sounds like Paul's saying, look, basically be a Christian doormat to the world, you know? <laughs> But he's not saying that. First, he's saying this by talking to people who know who they are in Christ. You know, around this church and around many venue churches, you know, we, we talk a lot about identity in Christ, don't we? I mean, we do. We talk a lot about it. Do you know why we talk about that so much? Because that is such the foundation. You know, whenever we come together, if you have that foundation of knowing who you are in Christ, that, that, that solid foundation, then you can start looking at other pe people, putting their interests first and yours second. 
because you do that in a healthy way. You don't do that in a way that brings yourself down. You do that in a way that the Holy Spirit can empower you to look out of their interests, okay? And so when we put another needs above our own needs, that's what we're called to do in the kingdom. You know, and, and I would say not only as we come together in the community, but even just looking for life opportunities to do that. You know, um, as you might know, I'm a, I'm a professor at University of Illinois. One of the big things to do is to get grants in. University loves it whenever I write a grant. <laughs> it's successful and we get money. Well, whenever I was starting off, I, I had the privilege of working uh, for the Air Force, and um, I actually had many, many different friends that these were the friends that I would uh, go together. We'd eat cold pizza together doing tests and wind tunnels and things at the Air Force, and later they became program managers, the leaders of DARPA, and some of the uh, large agencies. And I remember had one of my friends, and I, I was privileged to have so many friends that took care of me in my career, but I remember having one of my friends, and he came to me and goes, you know, I really want to continue to do research um, with you, but I can't. I can't do that and fund you. And I said, no problem. Let's do the research together. Let's be friends. Don't even worry about funding me. And you know, some people would go, man, that's just crazy. What, what are you thinking? You, you know, this guy could really give you a lot of money and stuff like that. But you know what I found is just having an attitude that said, you know, Tom, I, I just want to help you out and help you to come and enjoy uh, working in the lab with me. Our friendship means way more than any money that I could get through your programs. Well, what happened is one of my first grants that I actually ever got as a professor, and I heard this later from another person, uh, Tom was walking down the, uh, down the hallway at AFOSR, uh, the Air Force uh, Office of Scientific Research, and there was another guy, Steve, who was walking the opposite direction, and Steve just said, hey, do you know this guy, Greg Elliott? And uh, Tom said, yeah, yeah, I know him. He goes, he goes, is he any good? And Tom just gave this glowing recommendation, and Steve probably for 20 years uh, funded my research. You know, so the thing that I find, and the reason I give that example, is sometimes it looks like, you know, you think, I'm being self-sacrificing. I'm putting another person's needs above their own. You know, I'm not going to say this is any kind of name it and claim it kind of thing at all, but man, for me, it just seems like God seems to work out those situations. It's been amazing in my life when he's done that. The other thing that, it, that we find out is that as you look through Philippians, we see that there's this challenge that Jesus gives in serving one another. And this challenge is found in verse 5. He says this, and this is really the, you know, think of it as the challenge of our king. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at every name of Jesus, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, this is who Jesus is. You know, his ministry can be summed up as he knew who he was, he humbled himself, and he served others, and he gave his life for his friends and enemies. You know, it says that verse in Romans 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, sometimes I think we get the emphasis of Jesus' ministry on the wrong syllable, okay? We, we kind of think, you know, what was Jesus and what did he do? And he did several things. You know, but if I look at what he really em emphasized, it was service. Jesus served others. You know, I can find times in the New Testament when Jesus did not proclaim who he was. I can find times when he did not heal. I can find times when he did not reveal his power in miraculous ways. But you know what? I cannot find a time when he did not serve. I cannot find one time when he did not serve. When he was born as a man, he was serving. When he's going to his family and other religious leaders and they rejected him, he's serving. When he turned water into wine, he's serving. When he talked to a Samaritan woman that no one else was talking to, he was serving. When he ate with the outcasts and with the sinners of the day, he was serving. And when he was washing the feet of the people that were supposed to follow him and he was their leader, he was serving. Jesus Christ served. And what does that first verse say? say it says this in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus we need to serve each other you know and there's a warning that goes along with this service too and that warning is found in verse 12 it says therefore my friends my dear friends as you always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here's the challenge. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You know, I, I said you know, some good stories about my relationship with Jesus and, and, uh, and my relationship with Jeanette, uh, let me give you a confession, too. I don't do things perfectly all the time. I had a, um, we had a, a college ministry in Lancaster, Ohio, um, and God just blessed it. It's just one of those times, and I, I've enjoyed these times in my life where God says, okay, I'm going to bless this group of people. And it was great. It's a small town, about 50,000 people in that town. And we used to come together and just have a blast. I mean, we had Bible studies, we did worship. But the one thing that we did and that we were known for is that we served not only the local church that uh, we were in, but also the ministries around there. And so we were known as the people that you call whenever you needed to move, uh, whenever you needed something painted, and we'd basically get a couple pizzas and we would get, you know, 20 people coming out, you know, to paint Maywood Mission and to paint it and to, to put coats of paint on it and to enjoy the fellowship that we had with one another and just 
the, uh, just the fun that we had in it. But you know what? And eventually that, that ministry started to decline. And you know, if I look back at why it declined, you know, there are many reasons people moved away and things like that. But you know what I remember the most is I remember grumbling. And that's something I've had to ask forgiveness for. I remember grumbling and saying, why is it that people always ask us to do all the serving? Why is it that, you know, they just feel like they can use us? Why is it that we're always the ones here working in the church and not everyone else? That's a sin that I'll live with, you know, and that I've had to ask forgiveness for. And you see that in this verse is that, you know, as we look to each other, don't grumble. Don't serve. Don't do the mistake that I've done. Okay, don't do that. Because it just really deteriorated that ministry as my example became an example to others and the grumbling started and things like that. I don't think that was the total reason that that ministry started to decline. But I don't know, God always points it up in my life as one of the reasons. So in this, I hope you hear the challenge. I hope you hear the challenge that as we make decisions, to make decisions as kingdom citizens. You know, and there's some practical things that we can do. Let me give you one question, and then I'm going to give you, oh, probably about nine or ten applications, okay? Let me ask you the one question, and maybe this is the one challenge to you. What, is there anything in your life right now that comes to mind that Jesus has asked you to do and you haven't done yet? Like when I say that, you're like, wow, yeah, God put that on my mind. And you've had several different things you've thought about of why not to do it. Um, And you haven't been able to get past that point where you actually do that. Let me just ask you to do a little exercise with me. What if I said, okay, Think of that thing that Jesus Christ has asked you to do. A way to serve other people above your own comfort level. Think of that one thing. And now let me ask you to do this. Think about it not having any effect, negative effect on you at all. Could you do that now? Like like if, if Jesus is asking you to talk to someone at work, what if I just said, you know, take away that, they may reject you. Just take away that thought. Could you do that? You know, maybe Jesus is asking you to go to your husband and wife and just say, you know, I just want to start new. I just want to start new. Could we do that? And could you not think about the effect it would have on you? What do you want me to do? You know, there are several things that you could go through. And I think some of the times whenever I don't I kind of don't do what Christ asked me to do with that kingdom mindset. I think I'm asking, how does this affect me? And it just stops it. But could we get beyond that and maybe take a little risk? Also, the book actually has these examples of what does it look like to be unselfish? And where has God called you to be unselfish? And this is just questions and examples James Smith has given. Um... How about living unselfishly at home? Maybe going to someone else in your family for once and saying, hey, where do you want to eat tonight? Instead of dragging them to where you want to eat. Or 
ask how the other person is doing instead of trying to fix them or solve the problem. Decide beforehand, I'm just going to listen on this one. How are you doing? Ask your kids maybe how they want to choose to spend the rest of the day instead of setting an agenda for them. Or maybe let's look at work. And this is other things James Smith points out. You know, go to a co-worker and ask if you can help them out. How can I help you? Could be a good question for a co-worker. Or bring coffee or treats or something to make the day lighter for everyone in your office. Or maybe in the church, um, you know, parking away a little <laughs> further away or scooting in like Dan <laughs> always tells us to do. You know, these things that we can do to put other people's needs above our own. Uh, maybe even in daily life, you know, put into practice maybe allowing someone else to go in line before you at the store. You know, <laughs> or maybe uh, when you're driving, let someone in your lane. You know, these small things that we can do that would actually just start that attitude, that kingdom attitude of putting other people's needs above our own. Um, as I ask uh, Joe to come up here and lead us in worship, um, let's pray. And I, I just want to pray through a few things here and just really encourage you in uh, serving others and thinking now with a kingdom mindset more often than a mindset from this world. Oh, Father God, um, I do just give you this time. Um, Lord, I know that there are people here that uh, certain things spoke to them. Um, Lord, there, there are people that you've said, uh, you know, this is the way that I want you to serve someone else in your life. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to do that. Lord, just bring those things to mind right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give them the strength and courage and power to do what you've asked them to do. And Lord, as we come to a time of worship, we do worship you knowing that you gave us that example, that example that said, you know, how do we look at other people's interests above our own? Because Lord, you sure did that with me. Uh, you looked at my interests and what I needed, the salvation and reunion with you, and you gave everything for me and for everyone in this room. Lord, we just give you this time of worship and we worship the God who we love, Jesus that we follow, and the Holy Spirit that lives in us. With these things, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Could you stand with me together? Also, we're going to have people in the back, so as we sing a couple songs, if you just feel a tug that you just need prayer for anything, you need prayer to know how to serve, prayer for the strength and power to do something that you're like, God called me to do this, but I do not know how to do this. Let us pray for you and empower you to do those things. And at the end, we'll, of course, have a blessing after a time of worship. Thanks. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, Go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org. Oh, hey, you're still here.
You're, you're like one of my favorite people. The, the kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, while I have you here, I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of central Illinois, go find a vineyard church. Vineyard churches are amazing places. Go find one near you. And if you're not near a vineyard church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here. And if not here, Go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right, thanks for listening. See you later.